0: Welcome back in. It's the Lions 24/7 Podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz, and once again, we're coming to you a day early. Uh, it was on Monday this week because Drew Aller served up his announcement that morning and we wanted to get right to it. And now we're coming to you on a Thursday because Sean wants to get right to some family time. He's going on vacation. Uh, he's out of the loop for Friday. So uh, we're going to send him off. But So we're coming to you uh, an extra day early and, and we're coming to you with what we hope will be a guest. We have not recorded the interview yet, but we have him lined up. Pat Friermuth to talk about his Penn State career, his upcoming NFL draft experience, all that ongoing uh, in constant contact with NFL franchises at this point, just 50 days out of the 2021 NFL draft. So uh, Pat's a guy that Sean and I both spoke with quite a bit during his recruitment. We hope to do that again. If we don't get him, we'll edit this out. And you'll never know that it happened until we actually do get him. Sean, we got recruiting to talk about, though, as well, because Penn State pulling in a commitment earlier in the week. We're going to reset the class a little bit. Official visits are all of a sudden coming in fast and furious. It's nice to hear a little bit of normalcy returning to our recruiting coverage here, although nothing's promised quite yet. Um, So we got a lot to get to before you get out of here. Yeah, there's some
1: good news come, like, coming from all over the place in terms of guys setting up visits. Of course, the Drew Aller commitment earlier this week, and it just seems like there's a lot of stuff happening. Maybe not the, the big. Uh, Mountain moving type stuff With the exception of the Aller commitment obviously but uh, it just seems Like there's a lot happening right now I think there's a lot happening with the board In terms of guys fluctuating And just kind of spring is in the air For us here in March and you kind of See the light at the end of the tunnel at the end of May So uh, if we can get through the next couple of Months it seems like things are going in a positive Direction.
0: Absolutely well I know this Is your first like trip with the Family out of town and way too long This is long overdue for you I've got a vacation coming up later in the month with my wife. That has not happened since February of 2020. So there is progress. Uh, I felt the sun shine a little bit outside when I stepped out here in State College. So. Hey, I think the recruits see that light at the end of the tunnel. I think collectively, right now, we're all kind of sensing things are heading towards a better summer this time around. And for Penn State, major promise with this 2022 recruiting cycle right now. Eight guys on board. All are considered four-star composite prospects in the 24-7 sports rankings. Five of them are from the state of Pennsylvania Uh, Number six overall nationally in class rankings, number two in the Big Ten behind Ohio State. Uh, And as we'll review in a moment, the offensive group that is coming together is certainly uh, an enviable position when you look across what programs are doing uh, in the Power Five recruiting landscape right now.
1: For for them to have a two quarterback class already, um, number one says I think more about the appeal that Mike Gersuch is bringing and the appeal of that room and you know the way that they played obviously last year left a lot to be desired. But at the same time, you know you can spin that you can recruit you, know, you can recruit based off of that saying hey we need help you need help soon you know you guys can get in here and play right away and you know you you recruited a guy like Bro, uh, Bo Probula, who was you know in that mold of of. Pennsylvania kid, Penn State kid that, you know, grew up wanting to play here. That's great to get a guy like that in. Um, because when you bring in a guy like Drew Aller, as, as lauded as he, as he has been over the last couple of months, that, you know, they kind of play off of each other and, and sort of hope that, you know, that, that can, you, you can ride this one out all the way to National Signing Day. Now, I don't know that, given what we've seen in recruiting today, that that's, you know, it's going to be without its bumps. I mean, you know, you're not sure what's going on in terms of other schools reaching out to ProBula and things like that, but that's, you know, you're certainly in a great point or a great spot right now. Um, and then you just sort of uh, you see that ripple effect with the offensive skill uh, class still need it. Still need a running back, obviously, probably two running backs, um, but receiver seems to be, you know, fairly set with two really good ones in Caden Saunders and Anthony Ivey, and then you think you got a really good one in Jerry Cross. And I think when I say that w- about Cross, um, you know, they set out probably going to take two in terms of taking Jerry Cross and Holden Stays. Stays decommits. And they haven't offered anybody else. So they've, they've got some guys that they like and they haven't jumped on. We we talked about C.J. Hawkins down in Tampa a couple of weeks ago. And since then, he's added Bama and Florida and a bunch of big offers. So uh, Penn State jumping in now probably wouldn't do anything for him. But to me, them not putting out that offer when that's a the kid they like a lot says to me that they're pretty comfortable with having just one tight end in the class. Um offensively, of course, we said about running back. Offensive line is obviously an issue that needs to be addressed over the next couple of months. Uh, You got uh, Drew Shelton, All-American, a newly minted Under Armour All-American. But you got to continue to build on that offensive line room. I think that when you take a look at the offense, is is the big next step in terms of uh, where they need to fill out
0: uh, on on that offensive side. Drew Shelton and uh, I'm sorry, Nick Shelton, no, Drew Shelton. The, both Drews. I don't know why I'm, I'm I'm struggling here, but both Drews in the class, Oller and Shelton, uh, making that roster for the All-America game that's set to take place in Orlando this winter. So congratulations to those guys. Both of those invitations accepted here in the past 24 hours or so. Uh, been a heck of a week for Oller, of course, with the commitment, now that honor. Um, a guy that we hope to catch up with soon here on the podcast as well. Jerry Cross, by the way, uh, going to be a really interesting case study because he's going to have such a gap between when he's playing live action football. I caught up with him last week, Sean, to talk about his official visit plan, and we'll talk about what's brewing there for Penn State with official visits. Two distinct weekends that have a different feel to them that are both going to be very important for this program in June, if that can happen. But Cross reporting that he is up to six foot six and three quarters. Uh two hundred and forty plus pounds. I'm Penn State's gonna do their best to get verifiable measurements on everybody when they get to campus. I know they've been been trying to do that virtually That is pretty notable because when he gets to a football field and pads next, he's going to be a very different player than the sophomore who caught 11 touchdowns, lined up out wide quite a bit there in 2019. Because no fall season for him last year, Sean, and and he confirmed to me no spring season for him up there at King High School in Milwaukee. So he's talking about going. Two years. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's just hard to imagine at the high school level. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what they have. But I, it certainly seems from the last we saw of him on a football field, combined with his physical maturation process, combined with uh, the the confidence that this kid exudes, you do have one of the best tight end prospects in the country. But I I think it's one of those situations where how has he transformed in two years? It's kind of, uh, you know, what exactly are we going to see in September when Jerry Cross is playing football again? I think that's a great
1: question because, I mean, what was he, 6'6", 215, you know, 6'5", 215? now We'll say 6'6. That's what he's listing himself as. Obviously, all these guys, when they, when they come in for visits and things like that, will get measured. So, you know, all, all the measurements for the 2022 class, probably a bit high right now, but you look at the kid, you look at photos and stuff, and, and certainly you could buy that he's 6'5, 240, something like that. So, um, he's got a lot of the physical skills that come with it. Now, when he was playing as a sophomore, he was playing more as a, as a glorified flex tight end, wide receiver type guy. So, To see that physical maturation, to see what he can do with that is going to be one of the notable things whenever he puts pads on next. It's going to be very different uh, than, than the guy that he looked like as a sophomore. Hopefully he can carry that over. Hopefully he can, you know, just sort of, um, play off of what's what, his physical gifts and, and turn into a tight end as he was a receiver before. So I'm very interested to see that. I'm very interested to see a lot of these guys because, um, some, some have had breaks. Some have had, it, it's just, it's such a disjointed, uh, last year, last calendar year, actually to the day as we're recording. You just, uh, you don't know what to expect with a lot of these guys and kind of made a reference to that in my chat this week. We were asked about, Uh, recruiting offensive tackles versus maybe offensive guards. Well, that's kind of the reality of the situation when you're talking about uh, recruiting offensive linemen right now is, okay, the guy that you're recruiting at 6'6", Probably not gonna be six six, probably gonna be six four and a half, something like that. I'm mean, I know I'm I'm six four and back in high school I was up to six six. It it happens. It's one of those things where you know kids always want to be the tallest that they can be, and it's kind of one of those things that you buy into and some people get offended when you say that you're your your actual height, and that's something we talked about with Don a couple of weeks ago. Um, but you're gonna take these guys that are you know six, 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 eight, something like that. And if you're not six, six, that's fine. That's completely fine. You're six, four and a half. That's fantastic. If you list yourself at six, four and you're six, two, that might be a little bit different. So When you look at what Penn State's recruiting right now on the offensive line, you see a lot of these taller rangier kids that probably aren't as tall as they list themselves at, but that's okay. Um, it's really interesting and it's funny because um, Ty Howell uh, is obviously the new Penn State tight ends coach, remembering back to his recruitment and I love his dad, David Howell, one of the nicest guys I've ever come across in this business Swore up and down that his son was six two, maybe even six two and a half. And the first time I saw Tai Howe, Tai is a, a shade over six foot, and I was just like, hmm. There's quite a disconnect here and it 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 was so funny to to hear um his father talk about how he was 62 and everything because he was a center prospect you know nobody expected him to be 64 65 but this is a guy that walks in barely over 6 foot. you saw him play uh always seemed to be the shortest guy on the field and of course now he's a Penn State coach so it was good that we we followed that one the whole way through but that's the the way that sort of things have changed in the last 10 years is you don't really see that anymore you see guys that um you know, get to campus, get measured. And if they don't want to get measured, that's a that's a red flag right there. But they get to campus, they get measured, they get uh, these verifiable results, and then you go from there. Now with the 2022 cycle, you haven't had these kids on campus for at least a year. So there's obviously growing to do. There's obviously some things um, at, at play there. You can do the virtual combine, et cetera. But you're still going to find kids. I mean, it, we heard that one program dropped a kid, uh, an offensive tackle listed at 6'6", who so was actually 6'3". Not the end of the world for that kid because he, he landed in another Division I school, but that's the sort of things that you're dealing with with this whole layoff.
0: Yeah, some surprises uh, coming through to some campuses uh, as enrollments continue for the 2021 class, I would imagine. You're trying to avoid any of those surprises with this 2022 cycle as you hope things open up a bit. Uh, really quickly, going back to that two-quarterback class, I wrote a piece on Monday up on the site. About Drew Aller and Bo Prabula, and how Aller comes in from Buckeye's territory—a kid who grew up following Ohio State, less than two-hour drive to campus—and then you've got Bo Prabula, who's playing backyard football with a Nittany Lions mini uniform on and a Penn State helmet on—and those two guys are suddenly attached at the hip and tied in this conversation now. Will they still both be on campus come 2023? No idea. The track record says there's a good chance that one of those guys ends up elsewhere and one of them stays. That's based on what we see happen at college football. It's based on what we see happen at Penn state, but I love the mindset that both of these guys are bringing into the situation. If you heard our conversation with Bo Prabula he was well-informed that this was coming. He was he was all in on the second quarterback, as he had to be. And if he wasn't, uh, then I think he would have let them know and he would have started exploring other options. I think he's going to have other options. He will have other staffs trying to, to sell him against being part of a two-quarterback class. And that'll be a, a kind of a decision that he needs to make on his own moving forward. But he sounds like he is very much sold. He's ready to recruit for this program. Um, and and Caden Saunders was also on the, the last episode with us, Sean. Um, You know, overshadowed a bit in that episode because a lot of it started out with the Aller commitment and that was the breaking news we were reacting to. But Hopefully you had a chance to check out what Caden Saunders has to, had to say uh, because he's a guy who's also recruiting on behalf of the Nittany Lions. He's a guy who's also out of the state of Ohio. And him and Anthony Ivey at wide receiver, I mentioned this during the Saunders interview, is Makai Flowers part of that group? Is Makai Flowers going to be a safety that's a question that needs to be answered, and I think Ken Talley's another guy when you look at the positions in among these eight commitments. Is he a defensive end who's going to put his hand in the dirt? Is he an outside linebacker? Are we just sticking with the hybrid label for now? Those two guys, to me, depending on how you continue to fill out this class, a bit of a wild card on those situations. We know Anthony Ivey and Caden Saunders are going to be running routes, going out, trying to catch passes and beat defensive backs down the field. How Makai Flowers and how can Tally impact this team defensively at the wide receiver spot? Uh, it's still a remaining curiosity for me
1: little flexibility never hurt anybody so uh, but yeah mostly with flowers I think because obviously he's a talent on both sides of the ball and K- Kent talley's a little bit different in the sense that y- you're wondering you know can he play linebacker and is he big enough for for defensive end so there, there there's questions there's I think there's two separate questions there flowers is all right which side of the ball can this guy be a star? Tally is like, okay, he's a defensive guy. Where does he give us the most flexibility? Where does he, you know, have his highest ceiling right now? They think that's linebacker, but obviously that can change. We've seen, you know, we've seen a lot of that in terms of what, of guys that, you know, maybe don't fit the profile for one, or maybe fit the profile for one when they're recruits. And then two years later, the need is obviously there um Zariah Fisher's one that's already made that move so it's it, it'll be interesting to see which direction that goes I think really looking at this class as a whole um and you didn't see this last year you you're taking a look at uh Drew Aller, Drew Shelton both under Armour All Americans, Caden Saunders is in that group as well. But of these eight guys, I don't know that Probula's on that level right now. There's a there's a difference between being a, a you know just a, a four star guy and an all American. Um nothing wrong with with be just being a four star guy, but I'm not sure that Probulas on that all American level. Jerry Cross, it's gonna be tough for him with with the lack of film and with the lack of uh you know exposure to what he's doing to 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 make that. So we'll see if he hits the camp circuit or something like that. Drew Shelton, obviously an all American, Caden Saunders an all-American. I think Anthony. Anthony Ivy is an All-American level wide receiver. Uh, I think that he's a guy that can get there. And I think McLe- Mackay Flowers is as well. So you're looking at five of eight of these guys are All-American level guys. And that's something – you know. last year, I think uh, Landon Tangwall was the only one that was going to play in an All-American game. So that's a big step up, especially from that 2021 cycle where, where you're looking uh, – where, where you are looking at building the talent or having that higher talent level is the difference between All-American and four-star rather than four-star, three-star. And obviously, these, these star ratings, not the end of the the, the be-all, end-all of these things. But when you take that into account, it's a it's certainly a much higher level, as we've seen through the classes uh, uh, over the years.
0: It's pretty amazing to me how the perception about Drew Aller has changed so quickly. When they offered him, he was outside the top 500 in the composite, outside of the top 24-7. Three star status, and now um, you know. Upon further review, you realize how special this talent is, and to the point where you are now. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you kind of just describe the gap between Oller and Bo Prabula, who just was a, a classic say player of the year. It's amazing to me the ascension that we have seen from Oller. I'm not necessarily convinced that there is a gap yet. Uh, I, I want to see more of both these quarterbacks. I want to see both of them in the camp circuit. I want to see both of them with bullseyes on their back as seniors on the football field. Um, but I'm just telling you, it's remarkable because when, when Aller first surfaced on our radar covering his recruitment versus where it is now, I mean, where people are talking about him getting a fifth star, it's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, and here's the thing with that. There's six Under Armour All American quarterbacks. There's six uh, All Army All American quarterbacks. So to be an All American quarterback, that's you know that's the top of the top right there. And they obviously think very highly of Drew Aller. But uh, so Prabula, when I say he's probably not going to be an All American unless he goes out, you know, he's going to go to the Elite Eleven camp at the end of April in Philadelphia. And maybe balls out and does a great uh, great job there and comes on the radar for somebody. Uh, I just think that you're looking probably more for a a guy in the mold of Aller, a guy that, you know, can go out there and you think can throw it around in shorts and t-shirt, can throw it around in the film, and can do a lot of different things. And... and I guess cookie cutter would be the way to say it. You know, this is a guy that probably fits the mold of what they're trying to do because when they go down there for the Under Armour game, you know, you're trying to run a certain offense. There's a lot of throwing around, a lot of a uh, couple of read stuff, and it's it's not really where Probula shines as much. Probula makes plays and does his thing, and that's probably. We're probably selling him short based on what he was as a sophomore because he was that athletic guy that ran around and made all these plays, and that's probably not what's going to get you the All-American bid. Now, as he played as a junior – Certainly could make a stronger argument for it. So I, I don't want to think that we're running down on the kid because of because uh, we're saying he's probably not going to be an All American guy, but he's still a pretty darn good quarterback. So I think that's probably something to take into account. There is that what twelve of these guys are going to be All American game quarterbacks, and you know maybe if if you if he makes the Elite Eleven, this top twenty four in the country. That's pretty crazy company to be in right there, especially if you have two of those guys in the, in, in that cycle. And by the way, Drew Aller is going to compete at the Indianapolis uh, Elite Eleven in early May, so we'll get a chance to see him throw it around a little bit and uh, you know see how he looks uh, as a, as a committed prospect.
0: Hope to have feet on the ground there in Philadelphia for for the Elite Eleven that boat will be at uh, protocol, of course, permitting uh, media access like that. But uh, yeah, I think you're right. With with Oller is definitely the uh, you know the, the the combine setting. He has the you'd think the tools and the physique to wow you more. What I do like about both these guys, improvisational abilities are there. I don't. That's something that I think is always kind of forgotten when you evaluate quarterbacks. You see the measurements. You see some of the high school numbers sometimes you just need to see that that he can create something out of nothing. That's what made Trace McSorley so special and helped him overcome some of the athletic deficiencies that neither of these players really are going to face. And I think right now you really like the, the, the kind of how both those guys check off boxes when it comes to creating things for their offensive structure. We're going to talk a lot about Oller and Berbula for months ahead and maybe years ahead, Sean. So let's turn the page to what's next in the 2022 recruiting class. Official visits. Fingers crossed. Uh, A major gathering of commitments. Let's start there because we've been talking about them. Being planned right now for the final weekend of June, June 25th through the 27th, Uh, confirmed guests: Jerry Cross, Caden Saunders, both of these quarterbacks now. Um, You may have come across others, but that's already at least half the class we're talking about and expanding uh, to get to campus. And I thought Bo Prabula summarized this pretty well when he was on the show with us. Uh, For all the texts and all the Zoom calls and all the FaceTimes, you feel like you've known these guys forever. And then you got to remind yourself you've never... Actually, been physically together in person. Bo Prabula, this was stunning to me, has not been to campus since going to a game in 2019. That's
1: it's been oh, quite a while for a lot of these guys, and even I mean, Prabula, never for cross, of Ma- course. Ma- a Ma- reminder,
0: never for cross, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Prabula, Flowers, Ivy, you know, even if they got to campus, uh, you know, on their own, but like you haven't stood face to face with a Penn State coach since 2019. That's pretty crazy when you think about it. Now, like I said, it's been a year to the date since everything kind of shut down. Um, but it's, it's crazy when you, when you take that into account. So getting these guys back on a campus, having that atmosphere, it'd be interesting to me. I, I I think it's great that they got the officials scheduled and everything like that. But typically what Penn State likes to do is bring these guys in in December and have their official visits. So it, it will be interesting to me if they, if they follow through with this plan for, especially for guys in state. Flowers tally, you know, guys that can get here regularly. Do you hold off until December? Because this is, you know, the, you're flipping the script on everything. It's it's something that we've never dealt with before. So, is this the right way to go about it? Um, we'll see in a couple of months whether these are still officials, whether they're unofficials, and f- frankly, whether that even matters. I mean, we've seen these guys, Caden Saunders, Anthony Ivy, guys that have been able to get up to to campus without, you know, um, you know, with 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 the dead period in effect. So. Will that matter? I'm not sure, but I think it'll be interesting because you've got guys coming in like Jerry Cross who's, you know, could he get here on his own? Maybe, but you, you want to get him, you want to get him to see his first look at campus and really make sure that resonates and and get these guys around each other do what they can do and I think that'll I think that's probably the right recipe and on top of that they're still planning on having the lash bash in July so maybe these guys get here at the end of June officially get back at the end of July and do that unofficially and and see how that all comes together because as we mentioned before the calendar by while, while it may open up in in at the end of May that July dead period is still on the on the calendar so you have to plan as if that's going to happen for now.
0: A reminder, I know most people know this, but the big big difference what's official, what's unofficial, why does it matter? Official visits, a guy like Jerry Cross can get on the plane with his family stay a few nights in a hotel here in State College and they're not getting money taken out of their bank account to do that and organize that trip Penn State organizes the trip uh, and, and that is a, a, a cost-free uh, cost-free experience which is a big deal depending on you know what your background is what your situation is with your family it can be impossible for some guys to get to campus otherwise in circumstances I'm not speaking up for Jerry Cross there but that's why it matters a lot for, for a guy like Bo Perbula, Hop in the car, a lot different. I think you're right. Maybe you maybe you have a conversation and say, come to campus this weekend, but let's stash your official visit. Perbula says he's ready to keep coming back once they can once they actually can come to campus. He wants to be here for camps. He wants to be here for seven on sevens. Now, I don't know if either of those things will be here in Happy Valley this summer. Would love to see it happen. No idea if it will. But the big thing you're looking toward, obviously, is will Beaver Stadium uh have Prospects in the bleachers this fall, because that's where the floodgates can really open up, and that's where Penn State can really showcase what this university experience is all about for a football program.
1: Planning on camps right now. Planning on you know, very being a very busy June. Um, obviously, that's you know all dictated. Out of our control, out of their control as well. Um, but that's something that they're planning for right now is to have seven on seven, a couple of seven on seven camps, have their typical camps. Uh, you know, address July as it will as it will end up lying on the calendar. I don't know if that'll be opened up or anything like that. But just go about it as if it were a normal summer, and that's you know, it's kind of fun to say. It's kind of fun to imagine. Don't know that it'll go uh, completely to plan, but uh, it, at least we can we can sit here in March and and hope that it, that it can happen.
0: I'd love to to drive over to watch some Camp action, then drive over to a Spikes game, take a seat over there, watch some baseball on a beautiful night here in State College. It sounds awesome. I hope we're there this summer, Sean. Really do. Uh, Now, two weeks before that commitment, official visit, weekend extravaganza, top targets are confirmed to be heading this way. Again, if they're allowed to by the NCAA. June 11th through the 13th is the other span that we're watching very closely. Confirmations in the past 48 hours or so from defensive back Jaden Gold out of New Jersey. Defensive end Joe Strickland from Indiana running back Nick Singleton, uh, the premier prospect on the offensive side of the football here in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, I'd expect that to continue expanding. Again, we're, we're monitoring how feasible this is going to be, but these are three of the more notable names uh, and and all three guys carry that blue chip status.
1: Well, let's look at, at what you can get out of this right now. I mean, even these visits aren't going to happen. You can set these up and they can get their graphics out there, Singleton, Strickland, Gold, you know, all, all three of those kind of move the needle in terms of, uh, of interest. So you get your brand out there, you get your, uh, your name out there in terms of these guys are all four-star guys, all well-known guys. So, um, you, you're being, uh, you know, you're just, you've got, you're showing some initiative you're getting out there there's only been a couple of programs that have really pressed this ahead and and I don't know if this is the best way to go about it I don't know if this is the best uh, course of action that you can take because um you know maybe maybe waiting until later might be good but you're going to dive into it see if you can get out there and see if that like th- that's that's an answer that we won't know until the end of the cycle. waiting so. waiting
0: for anything once you're given the green light is like a hard proposition I'd imagine for any coaching staff right
1: I'm sure a lot of programs will be pushing to get these guys on campus unofficially. Um, but if you want to, you know, use your bullets now and, and see if you can get ahead of it, I mean, that's, that's something that, that's very possible, especially for a class with eight guys in it already gives you a little bit more leverage to, to push harder for some guys. And, and like we said, the board could, could change a lot between now and then. You know, you might see these guys in person and say, okay, that's maybe not the guy that we thought we were recruiting and, and things could change there. So I think if you give yourself more time, more cushion on the back end to do it then you know you can make this work and make make this the right decision so um you're getting out there you're, you're getting ahead of it these guys i mean you look at the guys that are out there that they've they've scheduled these for probably not going to change your course of action on Nick Singleton probably not going to do it on Joe Strickland but you've got guys that you know you you think are going to be targets guys that you think are probably maybe close to joining your class so i think that that's the the approach here it's uh it's something it, uh, to me Scheduling these guys is probably not the most interesting thing. It'll be interesting to me to see guys in Florida, guys from all over the place, guys that, you know, maybe thought that weren't really, Penn State wasn't really in the mix. And all of a sudden you take one of those officials, which kind of implies it's probably a top five, top six school. So those will be the interesting ones to me. Um, when we get closer to June, we'll probably see more of those pop up.
0: In this I mean at the very least it's a placeholder right now it you know you're, you're you're penciled in on their calendar and the prospects on your staff's calendar and and hopefully you get there but I think Sean that the point is you you don't want to be a program that doesn't act like you are being proactive and you don't want to be a program that that doesn't seem like you're enthusiastic about getting to a kid to campus as soon as you possibly can because after Waiting for 15 months, 16 months, these prospects, you know, come to the surface and say, okay, where am I going? And if a staff's saying, oh, why don't we hold off until the season? You're like, why? Don't you want to see me? Exactly. And that's, that's the thing. That's a conversation that you
1: keep having with different guys. And, and on the flip side, you've got a situation with a guy like uh, Nick Singleton. Obviously, he's wanted to take visits the whole time, but you know, there's a situation where, uh, maybe Ohio State could have a guy that's going to commit soon and that maybe they try to squeeze him. Something happens. If you got your, your visits set up in June. You're probably not making a decision in March, April, May. So it gives you a chance to sort of, uh, draw this one out for some of those guys and, and maybe, uh, explain to them that, okay, well, if you commit before that, I'm sorry, we're, we're not going to have an official for you. Um, that the, them's the breaks. That's what happens. So it gives them a chance. It gives Penn State a chance to sort of slow some guys down, not so much because they're stringing them along, but, uh, keep them from jumping into making a decision somewhere else in April.
0: And let's face it, uh, 2021 circumstances or not, a lot of guys have had in their mind that they want to be committed to a college before they set foot on the field as a senior high school player. That's It's always a target that we hear every year, and I don't think that'll change for a lot of guys, even though they've been shortchanged in their ability to go explore campuses. So Maybe June, hopefully we see the NCAA adjust and open th- some things up in July for these kids and for these programs, but you know, th- this is really going to be where y- you don't take trips just to see a campus. Uh, it- some kids will, but I think you're going to see a lot less frivolous kind of trips and more so getting down to business, doing your research, doing your homework on schools you are seriously considering, whereas it used to be, might as well fill five official visits, find spots. I think you're going to see kids come out of this and really try to attack the summer. And I would expect coaching staff to do the same in turn.
1: Yeah. Usually when you have guys that take those trips, they've been able to visit a lot of schools throughout February, March, April. And usually it's, it's Southern guys going, coming out to check. I, you know, just thinking over the list of the last couple of years, there's been guys that have been like committed to Florida and they take, even though they take the visit, you're like, this kid's not coming here. There's no chance. (laughs) So maybe there will be some sort of emphasis on, you know, getting to the actual schools that you think you're going to end up at. Um, so that you might be able to read more into that. And, and like I said, it will be very interesting to me to, to me how these schools, especially the Northern schools, how they handle guys coming in from from out of, uh, you know, out of the region. So I, I don't know how it's going to play out with those guys, but you're looking at that weekend in June as, as a very heavy uh, top target type weekend. And you're looking at that end, the weekend at the end of June as a commitment weekend. So maybe, who knows, maybe some of those guys that, uh, you know, are in the first weekend flip to the second weekend at some point. You, you definitely would like to see that after Penn State.
0: Uh, Singleton, by the way, a guy that we have talked about quite a bit here in recent episodes. You heard from Caden Saunders and Bo Perbula both saying he is of the utmost priority for them moving forward among uncommitted targets. Put out a top nine list on Tuesday night: Alabama, Auburn, Michigan, Northwestern, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Texas A&M, and Wisconsin on there, alongside the Netany Lions. Uh, no surprise, you know Penn State's right there. Uh, but you know, official visits also maybe eyed to Notre Dame, Wisconsin. We mentioned before Ohio State. Uh, a sustained contender in this process and according to Steve Wiltfong uh, who we spoke with about this list uh, the goal for him is a commitment before his senior season so time is of the essence with Nick Singleton and uh, as you have documented through your writing and through your conversations here Penn State is not beating around the bush about how they feel about him with that running back spot which still needs to be addressed.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a top target. Drew Aller also told me that Singleton's number one on his list as well. So the uh, the full court press is on. This is one thing that, or this is one that they've really made a run at in the last couple of, uh, of weeks and months. So um, you know, for for Penn State's sake, to get him locked in for an official, for to get him uh, certainly listening, you know, at a minimum, that's uh, that's that's fantastic work by them because it seemed like a big uphill battle. I know Doan had his, his early crystal ball in for Penn State, but from what we were hearing, just a couple of months ago. I mean, it didn't even seem like Penn State was, you know, maybe a top three, top five type school. So um, they, they've certainly put the work in and, and have done a great job recruiting Singleton.
0: It would be a major boost for the in-state recruiting efforts and a guy that we have not spoken about nearly as much here in the state of Pennsylvania, but is near the top of state rankings, Keenan Nelson out of St. Joe's Prep in Philadelphia. He also put out a top schools list this week. And um, upon further review of Brian Doan's reporting on the subject, Penn State seems to have built their case up nicely with Pennsylvania's Top ranked defensive back prospect.
1: You you mentioned he hasn't talked, we haven't talked about him much. He hasn't talked to anybody. In fact, uh, before Doan got him this week, I'm not sure the last time um, he really sat down with one of our guys at 24 7 Sports. So uh, it's nice to know he exists. Nice to know that uh, (laughs) that's, that one's still going. I know Ed Ed O'Brien had a camp a couple of weeks ago and and he looked pretty good, uh, you know, in his drops and things like that. But uh, yeah, Keenan Nelson, St. Joe's prep, uh, cornerback, very quiet. Where have I heard all these things before? Uh, hmm. Yeah, bit of a John Reed fan he is, Um and is a guy that uh, told Dome that playing close to home is something that he's uh heavily considering. So would not shocked if would not be shocked if Penn State was in the driver's seat right now. Would not be shocked if maybe a crystal ball or two came in for Keenan Nelson because he's a guy that's you're not gonna. I don't think you're gonna go on a roller coaster with. I don't think you're gonna hear a ton about his recruitment. But it seems like Penn State. Uh, the little that we know about Keenan Nelson it seems like Penn State's in a good, you know, a very good spot right now.
0: He is just outside the top 100 overall in composite rankings, the number 12 cornerback and the number three player in Pennsylvania in those composite rankings, situated behind Nick Singleton uh, and then top ranked Pennsylvania prospect Denai White at defensive end. All right. That was a lot on recruiting. We're going to press pause on that for the moment. You know, we'll always circle back there. Pat Friermuth, we all spent a lot of time watching him play for the Penn State Nittany Lions these last three years. Unfortunately, uh, cut short as a junior because of an injury, but he is fully focused on his NFL aspirations. We had a chance to catch up with him ahead of his Penn State Pro Day to talk about that career here in Happy Valley, what lies ahead, and everything in between. Listen to that interview coming up right around the corner.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Price and coverage match limited by
0: state law. We welcome Pat Friermuth onto the Lions 24-7 podcast. been a little while since we caught up with Pat during his junior season. He is currently out in Southern California preparing for a big leap in his life, a big leap in his football career, the 2021 NFL Draft. Um, Pat, welcome to the show. We're really happy to have you. Thank you guys for having me. You mentioned that you are out there with a couple of your former teammates also getting ready at, at this threshold, uh, Micah Parsons, Jason O.A. How are you guys keeping grounded, avoiding the stress that goes into this whole process 50 days away from the big day?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, we just kind of lean, lean on each other. Um, you know, we kind of are around each other. You know, we kind of know how, you know, we work out and what kind of ticks us off and what kind of motivates us. So, um, you know, we kind of just lean on that and, uh, you know, obviously – just, you know, staying kind of focused on our goal and not getting distracted. And um, it's kind of similar to what Penn State was like, just pushing each other and stuff. So, um, you know, it's, all, it's awesome training with these guys out here.
1: How did that come together? What, uh, I mean, has this been a plan for you guys for a while? Or is it just worked out with agents and stuff like that? How has how this come together?
2: Yeah, so it just kind of worked out. Obviously, when Michael opted out, you know, he came out here and started training out here. And then uh, Jason and uh, came out here and worked out for a little bit before, you know, the season um, got put back on. Um, so, you know, he kind of built a relationship that way. Um, you know, I committed to my agent, you know, right as the season ended and he was out here. So, um, it just kind of worked out that way where, you know, we all kind of uh, linked up and we all, man, yeah, we talked about it, but we all just kind of linked up and just kind of worked out that way.
1: How's the training going? Obviously you had the, the surgery there, uh, but how is everything getting back into the swing of things and what, what have they had you been, do, or have you been doing, um, uh, just to, to, to sort of get ready for pro day?
2: Yeah, um you know I'm I'm back full. Um you know obviously you know I'm still just working back my strength and everything like that. I have some you know limited restrictions but um you know I'm back doing everything. Um you know just getting my strength back and you know everything is going going really well here. You know obviously you know they're having us kind of you know hone back a little bit right now on you know the aggressive workouts just kind of making sure our body feels good you know with pro day you know only a week and a half two weeks away so um and we're just kind of doing that and getting our bodies feel uh, right. But you know, obviously the training was you know pretty, pretty hard and pretty you know intense. But um, you know, I, I feel great right now, and you know, both all three of our bodies feel awesome, and we're ready for product.
0: Pat, are you guys
2: in the same house in different
0: living locations and
2: just gathering for training? How's that all set up? Yeah, so it's actually a pretty cool setup. So you know, we're it's an apartment complex, so you know, we all have our own like kind of apartments and um you know our actual facility our training facility is up on the roof um so you know there's like a little bit of a turf field up there you know 20 yards I think I'm not probably from hashes to numbers you know it's not that not that big but I mean obviously the weight room's are on top of the roof and there's a pool up there and everything like that so you know we're definitely living life out here It's, it's definitely nice um but you know obviously you know we're still working You've been watching Jason and Micah push each other to be the fastest of
0: those two since they got to campus as freshmen in your class back in 2018. I guess that competition still goes on, um, and, and we're going to find out on Pro Day. What kind of athleticism are you seeing on a daily basis? Not to shortchange yourself, but watching
2: Jason and Micah compete against each other. Yeah, it's, it's obviously, you know, it's just it's just the same as college. You know, obviously, you know, talking trash and, you know, just competing against each other and trying each other to get better. Uh, that's kind of how, you know, they roll. You know, obviously, Micah and Jason, they both thrive off competition and you know, they're going to try and find it every, every kind of way they can. So if that's, you know, Micah talking smack about how he's going to run a faster 40, which she's not going to, um, then it's going to, you know, push him to run faster. So, you know, I think obviously – you know, you saw, saw the laser time and stuff like that. You know, Jason's is going to run off faster for you. There's no question about it. But, you know, if, if it makes Micah, you know, work harder to get that, you know, extra tenth of a second, then, then good for him.
1: <laughs> what are you focused on? Obviously, you know, coming off the injury and everything like that, There, you, you go from being a football player, a full-time student, etc. Now, all of a sudden, it's opened up. What's that change like for you? And what are you focused on uh, improving yourself at, at this point?
2: Yeah, it's definitely weird, obviously, you know, not having the responsibility of classes and kind of going to team meetings and all that kind of stuff and, you know, no position meetings, but it's it's definitely, you know, definitely kind of, you know, grow, it makes me be more mature probably just, you know, just kind of making sure, you know, I have a list of, you know, what I'm doing for that day and just kind of write it out and, you know, my to-do list and, and all that kind of stuff and try and accomplish everything I can for that day. I mean, it was definitely, obviously, I'm not going to school. There's definitely things that I have to, you know, get done throughout the day and, um obviously you know with my shoulder just you know go to PT I'm at PT every single day and you know I'm kind of doing extra just to kind of make sure I you know I get back to that you know level that I was playing at before the injury um so you know I'm I'm, I'm good to go for pro day um I'll probably do everything except um bench vert and 40 up in the air because I just got cleared to you know full-on sprint uh like two three weeks ago so I'm um, still kind of working through that so we'll see what happens Pat,
0: it's been about four months or so since since we saw you on the field as an active member of, of Penn State. At what point did it become apparent to you and to the coaching staff that you had to pull the plug? You had to take a step back and and really knowing that you were finishing up your college career at that point.
2: Yeah, so you know that Maryland game. Obviously, you know I was I was obviously frustrated with the outcome, but you know I was kind of more frustrated that you know I kind of been through everything. You know, selfishly been through everything and. Um, you know, obviously fought to have a season and just kind of wasn't going our way and definitely not my way. Um, you know, getting, you know, kind of hurting that against Ohio State and it was bugging me throughout the whole game in Maryland and kind of went to that week of practice. You know, they kind of held me back a lot, didn't really practice a lot. Um, just kind of got the reps that I needed to and, and kind of reduced the contact throughout practice. But, you know, Nebraska, I think it was the second drive where, you know, I ripped through someone on outside the zone and my shoulder just went numb um, for the rest of the game. So uh, I was definitely frustrating throughout that whole game, just kind of mentally, just kind of not being out there as much as I could and how much I wanted to, you know, I, I would go out there and, you know, they kind of managed me, um, you know, run plays and pass plays and stuff like that and opportunities that I'd get the ball. So um, it was definitely frustrating coming in off the field when I could just go out there and, and you know, do what I had to do. Um, but, you know, obviously, you know, I kind of learned a lot from it, um, just kind of handling adversity and, you know, it's definitely, it definitely stunk kind of making that decision to get surgery and, um, you know, not being able to finish the season with, with the guys on the team, but, you know, at that point i had to do it was kind of best for me we we obviously
1: tried to rationalize this season as some sort of normal season but obviously it wasn't um yeah. did that play into your decision just you know not as much to i don't want to say not as much to play for but you guys were obviously uh not going very well at that point how much did all these outside things to sort of factor in that decision to shut it down?
2: Yeah, to be honest, the only reason for me to shut it down was I just couldn't keep playing because my shoulder, my arm was numb. Like even, even just like throughout the day, just walking, just kind of just chilling by myself, my arm would just go numb for no reason. Um, And it would go probably be like that for like five minutes. So it was, uh, I was definitely just frustrated in that aspect, but you know, I wanted to keep playing, you know, I had to talk to Tebow and we talked to him Sunday in meetings and I was getting my MRI Monday and I was like, oh, regardless of what it says, like I'm still going to play like against Iowa, like don't worry. And then Monday comes and, you know, I meet with the doctor after the MRI and stuff like that. And he was like, um, you know, it's, it's pretty, you know, you tore both of your labrums, um, you know, there's cartilage all around it. Um, you know, it's pretty beat up right now. We have to, we have to clean it up. And I was like, well, can I still play? And, you know, that was the only kind of issue with me making the decision. Didn't have to go into, you know, we are 0-4 in the future of the NFL and all that kind of stuff. It was just based solely off of, you know, can I play through this injury? And, you know, we kind of decided I couldn't. Um, you know, it definitely was, it was sad, you know, not being able to finish the my Penn State career. You know, on a win on my on my end playing, but you know, I'm happy that the team, you know, finished off in that you know, four game win streak. So. Hi.
0: Considering the circumstances, I don't think any of us would have been surprised if you decided to go back home and and focus on your recovery and kind of go outside that Penn State bubble. But you stuck with the team; you were on the sideline every game around around all these players. What did you gain from that? And what stood out to you? What about maybe what sparked the four game win streak? Because the team was clearly in a much better situation leaving the season than they were when when you stepped aside.
2: Yeah, um, you know. I wanted to stay a part of the team the whole the whole time. Um, obviously, you know they voted me a captain for the second year in a row, and I kind of felt like it was my, you know, my job as a as a leader of the team and one of the guys that most of the guys look up to to you know be around the team and continue to be that you know that positive attitude and, and making sure to hold people accountable like I always do. So just kind of you know staying with the team and, and kind of there's definitely a shift in the locker room after that Iowa game. Just kind of you know we have to do something, whatever it takes to you know figure out you know, to get a win, just all we need is one win. And obviously that was our mindset throughout, you know, after Indiana and Ohio state and the rest of the games, but we just needed that one win to kind of get us back on track. And I think that whole week coach Franklin did a really good job. I think, you know, he delivered one of the best, you know, pregame videos that I've ever been a part of um, in my time at Penn state. It's kind of just reemphasize the whole family and reemphasize what your why is and what you're doing it for and why you're playing this game. And I think it was the best, thing that could have happened i think you know we were obviously doing team meetings over zoom which it, it definitely you know we missed the rituals of dancing before team meeting we missed the rituals of saying what's up to the guys and getting that interaction with the defensive coaches and all that so we went back to that old ways and i think that really helped just to kind of get back to the normalcy that everyone knew um and just kind of focus on what we needed to do and focus on our wise and i think you know that was probably you know the best week of preparation that you know we had in the 2020 season and, and kind of, we just got that win and, and never looked back.
1: At September, you probably read that you opted out. I don't know if you remember that or yeah. not. Uh, <laughs> what's your reaction to, to, to all that? And I guess now that we're past that, how close was that decision? Obviously a lot of guys had a decision to make at that point, And it was so up in the air, ambiguous as to what the big 10 was doing. And uh, can you, can you just take us through uh, September and what's on your mind going into that?
2: Yeah, so first, obviously, you know, I was just disappointed in the fact that because I felt like, obviously, with all the media people, I feel like I had a really good relationship with all of them. And, you know, I was obviously a good guy to talk to and all that kind of stuff. And I just kind of felt, you know, blindsided by, I forget the guy's name, but whoever published the story, he didn't even give me a chance. He gave me a chance to talk on it. But obviously, you know, Chris and all the guys are not going to let me talk on it. So he kind of reached out and said, you know, I'm going to publish the story. But if you don't make a comment, I'm still going to publish it. So I was just, I was mad about that whole thing. Which I think was just disrespectful to everything I put forward to Penn State and everything I put towards, um, you know, treating the media right and doing all that kind of stuff. Which you know, it kind of hurt me because I never opted out, and I wish that he waited till I made a decision or I publicly came out and said it. Um, but not regardless of that, you know, obviously I was I was deciding between it, but you know, I fought publicly on social media about you know having a season, so I kind of wanted to wait it out. There's no kind of rush to opt out like where I was I was gonna you know, go out and train. Who who cares about miss a month of coming out here and training? It's not going to make or break you know combine or pro day or anything like that. So I just wanted to wait out as long as I could, um, you know, and I, and I did. And um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that we got the season back. Speaking of decisions, that there's now some separation from.
0: Not a lot of people realize that you had this escape hatch after your sophomore year. A very rare thing because of of your circumstances coming into college. Did you seriously consider? stepping away from penn state after the 2019 season and what ultimately made it the right call for you to stay knowing full well that a pandemic of course not was going to roll through yeah
2: yeah um you know actually so i didn't obviously i saw the rumors and stuff on social media that i could leave but i didn't know any truth to it and i didn't want to ask because we were on such a high note like you know eight and nine and all that kind of stuff so you know, Coach Franklin called me in, you know, Ohio State. We got, like, Monday or Tuesday or something like that. And he was like, so what's – like, what are you thinking? And I'm like, about the game plan? I'm like, yeah, it's cool. He's like, no, about you leaving. And I'm like, Coach, I'm not talking about this right now. We're about to play Ohio State. Like, I'm not leaving. So ever since then, I, it wasn't much of a decision at all. Like, I I felt like I wasn't ready or mature enough to go, you know, out and, and leave yet from Penn State. I think I had more things to accomplish. And, you know, obviously, you know, a bunch of the teams on and that I've had meetings with have asked me about that. Know why I didn't leave after my sophomore year and came back, and all the stuff that I went through, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Just because, you know, I built more relationships, and I, you know, I matured more, and you know, I kind of went through things that, you know, adversity wise that I never thought that would happen to me, but you know, it happened, and you know, I'm very thankful for that that it did happen because it taught me a bunch of lessons and it taught me a bunch of different ways to handle adversity, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm thankful for everything that you know kind of happened.
1: Going, I I hate to rehash this 2020 season, but the end of the first drive against Indiana, you catch a touchdown pass. You guys looked really good going down the field. What are you thinking about at that point based, uh, you know, not even not even realizing what's to come. uh, But what are you thinking at that point in terms of what this this team could have done?
2: Yeah, well, selfishly, I was thinking, like, finally broke this record. (laughs) But uh, no, as a team. Um, you know, I was thinking, you know, it, this is going to be a really good team and this is going to be a really good season. Um, but, you know, obviously I think there were some points and, and obviously during the season that we could execute better. I think as a team, we're, you know, we were a talented team. I think teams would still tell you that, you know, despite our record. But I just think, you know, we didn't execute um, the way we wanted to in, in, in clutch situations. I think, you know, turn, turnovers were too many, um, obviously. And I think, you know, there's points in the games where we had an opportunity to make a run or, or make a – you know, uh, a key play to, you know, to kind of change the tide in the game. But, you know, we never made that play. That never happened for us. So I'm um, just kind of making sure, you know, I want, i talked to a bunch of guys like Han and Cliff and just making sure, like, to reiter- reiterate kind of and go out there and make those key plays and just keep working um, because, you know, I think they're going to be really good this year and they have a lot of young talent. And, um, I'm excited to see them play.
1: How hard was it to, to do that, to get that offense in there, to deal with all that stuff with the new coordinator and just not be around? I mean, the, you can say all the right things during the season, but just looking back, I mean, how much BS did you guys have to wade through for that?
2: Yeah, it was a lot. You know, obviously, you know, with Franklin and, and his program, it's relationship built. So not being able to actually meet Coach rock in person, then be able we met him in person, but kind of getting shut down and away from him and just kind of his vision. Obviously, it's, it's easy to kind of tell on Zoom, but that kind of in-person aspect you lose of it and kind of build that trust in person and, and, you know, going out to dinner and and doing all these things that builds a relationship and builds trust. And we definitely missed that aspect of it, but I feel like that you can't really use it as an excuse just because, you know, everyone went through it. So we, I just felt, I just feel like I just wish that we could have, you know, kind of did different ways to, you know, build that trust and, and kind of work towards, um, you know, that new offense and kind of giving it, you know, more work in the offseason when we came back in the summer but, but obviously it was definitely tough early january it was
0: a bombshell news for us and usually sean especially is really good at anticipating big penn state breaking news no one saw it coming kirk shiraka getting replaced by mike yersich what was your reaction to that move and what kind of message ultimately did james franklin send by making it <laughs>
2: Yeah, um, I was actually talking to Coach Franklin about it. Um, When I saw it, I actually, he reached out to me and asked if I saw the news. And I was like, yeah, I didn't know much about it. But, you know, Chuba um, Hubbard is actually out here. So uh, he was at Oklahoma State. So I was actually talking to him about it. And he was like, he's a genius and everything like that. So, you know, I kind of relayed that. You know, guys obviously were frustrated. So I kind of relayed that message to Cliff and and Jahan and just kind of was like, hey, tell the guys, you know, trust trust them and and trust what Coach Franklin's doing. And, you know, from what I've heard, all the guys love him and all the guys, you know, love you know, the offense and stuff like that. You know, I'm bored out here, so I'll even go on the Exos app and, and watch their winter workout walkthroughs about the plays and stuff like that and see what they're doing. So it's actually, you know, offense is kind of similar, but, you know, it looks, you know, it looks awesome and the concepts, the new concepts are great. And, um, you know, it, look, it looks like a really fun offense to be part of. You
1: said you've talked to Cliff quite often. What's what's those conversations been like with him this offseason? Obviously, didn't go to plan as as probably he drew it up last year either, as you could say that for a lot of people on the roster. But what's your contact been like with Sean Clifford and, and how is he handling this whole transition period?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously we talk a lot um, other than football. Um, but, you know, when we have those little conversations about football, I think, you know, he's ready to go. I think he's eager and, you know, talking to other guys, um, he's very motivated and, and kind of motivating the guys, you know, kind of remind them about our start and how that was unacceptable and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Cliff's ready to go. You know, I have, you know, full confidence in him. I still think he's an elite quarterback. And obviously, you know, he just got to make sure he doesn't turn the ball over and, and make smart plays. And I think, you know, with Jurchich, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He, uh, he's going to, you know, do, get that out of Cliff. And I think, you know, Cliff has a really good, starting to get a really good relationship with him. And, you know, I think Cliff takes disrespect really well. So I think, you know, he's gonna he's fired up to, you know, kind of get the opportunity to go into spring ball and kind of have that chip on his shoulder and kind of get that mentality where, you know, I have to win the job again. Um, su- so I think it's going to benefit him a lot.
1: Were you surprised Jahan came back?
2: Uh, nah, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I kind of talked to him. You know, obviously, you know, he, he, you know, got all the information he needed. Um, but, you know, even, even he said, you know, he wasn't surprised. I mean, he wasn't ready to kind of come out. So um, he needed one more good year and I, and, I, and I'm, you know, I would have supported him either way, but I think it was a really good decision by him.
0: I want to ask about the tight end room in a moment, but going back to Sean and then that quarterback room, some major changes with Will leaving and then the young kid, Micah Bowens leaving. Um, Roberson is a guy that we really don't know much about. He's thrown one pass in a college game. You've seen him a ton on the practice field. Can you give us a bit of a scouting report? Because at this point, unless the early enrollee, Christian Bayou makes a major push, he's the next man up at that spot.
2: Yeah, me and take me, me and Warner are like really, really close. So, you know, he's a really good, um, you know, guy. And I think, you know, guys on the team, you know, really respect him. I mean, you know, he came in and, and we kind of just clicked personality-wise. And, you know, he's a great guy. And I think he's going to be a really good quarterback. I think, you know, the change, the turnover through offensive coordinators kind of helped him kind of elevate his football IQ. I think coming in, he struggled with that a little bit. But I think, you know, having to learn a couple of new systems and kind of having to learn new terminology and how people talk about football has definitely helped him a lot. You can kind of tell, you know he he's ready to go into this spring ball and improve something. And you know, although you know he's going to comp- keep competing against Sean, and he's definitely going to have his opportunities. And um, you know, I think you know Take going to kind of take it and run with it. And you know, I think whenever he gets his opportunity, he's going to make the most of it, like I just said. So I'm excited to see him, you know, play and perform. And you know, he's definitely he's a solid quarterback.
0: Whoever's taking the snaps at quarterback at any point for Penn State's going to be looking toward that tight end group. Um, what did you learn about that group from the sideline during that final stretch last yeah. year? Uh, and can you give us a little bit of insight on all three of those guys, Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, and
2: Tyler Warren? Yeah, as much as they don't, they will never say this, but they want to be like me. So whenever they like come out and if for pregame warms they look like they kind of follow my pregame ritual and all that kind of stuff they'll never admit that so but i'm just telling you up front they always ask me about questions about you know watching film and doing all that kind of stuff and, I, and i'm i'm happy to do just because you know it kind of means you know a lot to me that, that i had kind of influence on them and they kind of look up to me and my process and stuff like that so you know they all three of them really you know compete against each other obviously you know talking to the tie um how a lot you know they they work their you know their tail off all um, winter workouts and and they're ready to go for spring ball. I know, you know, Tyler Warren was kind of disappointed with his role last year, and he he worked really hard this offseason to you know get a a, be- a bigger role and be for that spot. And you know, I don't think it's going to obviously there's going to be one core starter, but I think all three of them are going to play and they're going to play equal amounts. And um, hopefully, you know, there's a lot of 12 personnel, maybe some 13 personnel in there, but um, you know, they're all going to have opportunities to play. And I think they all bring a different element to the game, which I'm excited to see.
1: You obviously played for Tyler Bowen for, for three years. He's gone now, but you did get a chance to sort of overlap with uh, his replacement, Ty Howell. Uh, what, yep. what what can you expect out of Howell in terms of what what's he bring to the table as a coach? What did he do for you guys last year? How much do you take away from that?
2: Yeah, Ty's, uh, Ty's an unbelievable coach. You know, I stayed up for practice him a lot and just kind of going over, you know, hitting the block and sled and kind of just talking through, you know, pass protections and all that kind of stuff just to. You know, the the NCAA rule with, you know, timing. Tebow couldn't do it, but but Ty could. So just kind of build that relationship with him and and feeling comfortable with him. And, and, you know, he knows his football stuff and, you know, he's a really good coach and he's a really good guy. And I'm excited. I'm happy for him that, you know, he got the opportunity to, you know, be the tight ends coach. And and Coach Franklin called me and asked about my thoughts on him. And I'm very happy for him. And he's a great coach. And he's definitely going to demand, you know, excellence out of the room, just like, you know, Tebow did, I think. It was kind of good that Ty had a year under Tebow just to kind of see how he ran the room. And I think the room's not going to change much, obviously, he's a different coach. But I think that same mentality, the Aces, all that kind of stuff, I think it's going to stay. So um, I'm excited to see what he does with the room. Uh, Pat, speaking of Tyler Bowen, I'm looking
0: at the Jaguars draft board here. They have four draft picks in the top 46 picks. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. You see what I'm trying to do here. Uh, What would a reunion be like with Tyler Bowen? And have you two had any kind of communication? I'm not sure what the rules are and and what you can tell us and can't tell us. But, I mean, it's at least a
2: possibility. Yeah. I mean, it would would obviously be awesome, you know, reuniting with Tebow and Jacksonville and you know, kind of, you know, continue our relationship and kind of, you know, working off each other and kind of getting ideas and um, just kind of, you know, going through that process with him together like we kind of did in college. You know, I was a freshman when he first got there, then going to the NFL, his first year is going to be my first year. So it would be awesome. It would be really cool, you know, to reunite in Jacksonville. But um, that's all I want to say at the the moment about it (laughs) well you're you're in communication
0: with a bunch of different franchises what's your day-to-day uh lifestyle like when you're not working out how much of it is teams trying to get information from you and and you just kind of trying not to have your sped in head spinning
2: too fast yeah it's wild it's definitely weird that you know i I can't make the decision myself to where i'm going to go you know teams are making that decision so it's kind of weird to kind of sell yourself and sell what you do well and kind of kind of that whole thing um, you know, in February um it was more just kind of, you know, getting to know you kind of questions. But now it's you know, meeting with the Titans coaches, meeting with the GMs, the front office, and kind of, you know, asking those tough questions, you know, about football and off field stuff and just throwing out weird scenarios and weird questions. So it's definitely tough. And um, but you know, I, I'm enjoying it. And, you know, I'll probably meet with two or three teams probably every other day. And you know, Friday I'm meeting with five teams. So it's just kind of based off the schedule and all that kind of stuff. What's the weirdest question you've gotten so far? <laughs> the weirdest question. Oh, one of the weirdest questions was like, it wasn't weird. It was just kind of threw me off guard. It was just kind of like, so why didn't you play special teams? And I was like, oh, they're trying to manage reps, all that kind of stuff. And he was like, so you were a two-time captain, and never went to Franklin and demanded to be on special teams. And it kind of just threw me off because I was like, uh, I can't say I have, no, but <laughs> it was just, it was kind of threw me off. That's probably one of the like the weirder, tougher questions I've gotten, but everything has been, you know, I've, I've had no off-field issues nothing's really concerning like that. So I've had kind of pretty easy process so far.
1: Have you, have you been able to feel that it sounds like they're just trying to get a reaction and judge engage how yeah. you react to it. Have you yeah. gotten a feel for these interviews? Are you feel comfortable with, uh, with talking to these GMs, these coaches and things like that?
2: Oh, for sure. I, I'm definitely getting more comfortable. I mean, that was the first interview that I had. So it was definitely through my guard. I got like all rattled and everything like that, but I'm definitely more comfortable. You just gotta be, you know, show that you're comfortable and confident when you are talking in, uh, talking about, and, uh, it you know, it's good. It's actually, it's, it's fun. It's, it's fun to, you know, get to know these guys. I mean, obviously I talked to Bill Belichick and I grew up, you know, idolizing him in the Patriots. So it was definitely cool to be in that situation. Pat, I don't think we have
0: too much more for you here and we know you've got a lot to get to, but uh, kind of a fun question here because not many people get to live this reality. When you get those first NFL paychecks, do you have something special in mind for you or your family or your friends even uh, that that you've kind
2: of, had at the forefront of your head for for years, maybe. Yeah, um, obviously, I think you know my mom and dad, are especially my mom, are definitely going to listen to this. So I'm not going to. I have something <laughs> plan for those for those two. I'm not going to say what it specifically is, um, but I have something good, and I think they're going to you know enjoy it a lot. Um, but for myself, I I just want to buy a nice watch. I think you know I I've never had a really nice watch, and I just want a nice watch. Simple man. I, that's that works. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. exactly.
0: Sean, do you have anything else here for for Pat?
1: No, it's been a pleasure, uh, and, and like, and I will say this: Pat has handled himself for the last couple of years uh, so well with us, with uh, mm-hmm. with anybody that's been around. He's been such a great represent representative of Penn State football and, and the university as a whole. So it's been really cool. Um, you know, you, you I don't like to fall into oh, you play the game the right way, all that kind of stuff. But it's been it's been awesome to watch him. You, sorry, develop and just uh, sort of become this prospect and this player and this person. Um, it's you've come a long way in not a very long time, so it's been it's been awesome to watch.
2: I appreciate that. I appreciate it a lot, guys. Yeah, we, we kind of discussed that a bit
0: before we started recording with you, and uh, you know, going back to covering your recruitment, we'll be watching really closely what happens in April and, and beyond that, and uh, you know, hopefully we can get you back on and talk about how great your NFL's career is going down the road. Yes, sir, for sure, uh, definitely need to do that. All right. Thanks, Pat. Well, good luck with Pro Day. Good luck with the crazy questions coming your way, and we'll find out where you're heading in about 50 days. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, guys. Huge thanks to Pat. Uh, Big time for him to make a moment for us to talk about his past and and what lies ahead. Sean, I'll I'll put it out there. Very few prospects have come across as mature as Pat did uh, when we had him as a high schooler through those conversations He surfaced as a sophomore captain. He was a two-time team captain. He moves forward. One of the more enjoyable football players I've dealt with and a guy that I think whenever he decides to hang the cleats up, wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about coaching with him down the line.
1: Oh, no, no, I could, could definitely see him as a coach eventually. Uh, this guy has been all about football for the last couple of years. It's been really cool to watch. Just thinking back to his recruitment, just a very safe prospect and, and not in the sense that he wasn't a, a high ceiling type of prospect in the, in the sense that he really did everything right and, and obviously it was never going to be any sort of trouble and, you know, kind of got in, did his thing and, and got out of here. And now he's maximizing his, uh, his potential in the NFL draft. So, uh, really cool to watch his development, you know, Ever since he, he started coming to camp back in, uh, you know, before he was committed. I think that's where he earned his offer. Uh, it's just, uh, it's been crazy to watch his, uh, his ascension. Uh, but just looking back on it, it's not a very surprising one.
0: And we will have a chance to learn a lot more about uh, where these NFL draft prospects stand in terms of their development at Penn State and, and maybe what to expect from them at the upcoming Pro Day because we got Dwight Galt coming up uh, for a phone call on Thursday. Uh, there's going to be a bunch of coverage at Lions 24-7. It'll be something that we get back to in our next episode. We'll, we'll probably take out some of those topics and, and expand upon them a bit. But make sure you to, uh, check out Lions 24-7 coverage of that, because always one of the more enlightening conversations of the year when we d- get Dwight Galt, uh, not just breaking down those outgoing guys, but but some of the newer members of the program and how they are uh, advancing and, and very curious to, to see what we're going to get from this conversation considering the circumstances of this past year. Um, Sean, from the NFL Draft to the NFL Free Agency, uh, some Penn State players making news this week. You've got two guys out of this program, both of the same position, who are among nine total players franchise-tagged um so not a lot of guys got that franchise tag which which is uh which means a lot of money in the short term create some questions about the long term but wide receivers Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Chicago Bears respectively at the very least they're getting big paydays uh both going to make north of 16 million if it's on a franchise tag but of course, these tags can bridge the gap to contract extensions that are long-term or to trade talks even.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it's the short-term money and, and it's going to, you know, obviously contracts are what they are. And, uh, Alan Robinson is, is especially wary of, of how that's gone in the past. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's probably not the best for them in, in terms of, of what's going on in their leverage and everything. But, uh, you know, to be recognized as, you know, that's the, you got to be a top five, ten receiver in, in the league, um, to get one of those tags and, and I. Th- you know, certainly, I think it's, it's good for, well, it's what we're talking about here. It's good for Penn State. It's good for their, their image in terms of producing skill guys. Uh, you know, you think Penn State, you don't think wide receiver, especially in the NFL. And, and that's something that's come along and that's, they've kind of flipped that narrative in the last couple of years. So to have two of those guys be quote unquote franchise players at a position that, that, you know, is, is appealing to, uh, you know, it, or probably, uh, Probably the flashiest position, which you don't associate with Penn State. I think that that's something to be said for that. And I think that that's something this staff can sort of spin as, uh, hey, this is, uh, this is a place you can come. You can catch passes. You can develop and you, you can be an NFL wide receiver. It's not just a three yards in a cloud of dust type of thing, which is something they've been fighting against for a long, long time
0: college football is really entering this era of the name image likeness and it's looming over the way you recruit and it's looming over the way uh that you kind of uh deal with your standout players and it's going to you know really create more of a value on the individual well these two individuals are showing their value with the way that their franchise has just treated them and i think these two guys show on very different circumstances chris godwin you're you're getting signed up for one more year at least of playing with Tom Brady. You're getting that. You're getting fitted for that Super Bowl ring. And and oh by the way, Chris Godwin's coming off of a four-year, three point three million dollar. Rookie contract. Now, he was drafted to the Buccaneers in the third round, uh, bypassed by way too many teams, taken, you know, too many wide receivers were selected ahead of him. And I think everyone's quite aware of that at this point. And then Allen Robinson, he had his experience hitting the open market a few years ago, signed a three year, $42 million deal with the Chicago Bears, earned every penny of that but dealt with pretty piss-poor quarterback play for the Chicago Bears as their fans will tell you and that remains a concern for that franchise. Um so it, it, two guys that are, you know, 27 years old for Allen Robinson, 25 years old for for Chris Godwin. I think he just turned 25. They they should have a lot of football ahead of them. They should have a lot more big paydays ahead of them, but I think even though they are close in age, they are at very different states of, of their of their march in professional football. Yeah, I think, well, both have a lot of money in
1: front of them, but I think Allen Robinson's got a little bit more in the bank right now based off of his, uh, his passing. You remember when he was, uh, negotiating that last contract, obviously he had some injury questions. So, um, happy to see them both eventually get what they deserve. Um, hopefully it, it's not a situation where, you know, they, Somebody gets hurt or something like that where you, you've got us, you know, you, you lose a lot of that leverage that you thought you had as a franchise player. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of money in these guys' futures and tying it back to what you said about name, image and likeness. That's a situation where a lot of schools have capitalized on Hey, how much money have our guys made? Can we put that on a poster? Can we put that on a graphic and say, Oh, we got two receivers making a hundred some million dollars? That's a pretty good selling point for Penn State.
0: Penn State certainly has shown the willingness to use NFL uh, NFL storylines on their graphics. And I'd expect, uh, I'd be surprised if by the time this podcast drops, if we don't see something out about Robinson uh, and Godwin getting their paydays. And, and again... Both of those guys, the door is going to be open for, for extended contract negotiations. Uh, both of those franchises facing some salary cap questions, so we'll see what happens there. And 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 what and what you said there—that's that's the Bama strategy right
1: there. That's built the hashtag built by Bama um, OUDNA with Oklahoma. You know, just sort of uh, branding that into hey, come get developed and and get paid. Well, eventually get paid um, that, that, by coming to our school. That's something that Penn State needs to continue to work on because they've got the guys in in the in the NFL now, I mean, just looking across the board, not just your Saquon, your Godwin, your Robinson, but they've got a bunch of guys. Donovan Smith had the big contract, you know. You've got a bunch of guys that you can lean on, and you can throw numbers at and say, okay, this is a spot where all of a sudden, you know, gone from being just the college uh, power or whatever to being a pro quote-unquote factory, and that's something that they want to continue to move toward.
0: It's been a good offseason for Penn State in the NFL. I think that will continue next month when uh, guys get their name called in the NFL draft, uh, and, and, and we'll see what that adds to the stockpile of, uh, of cash that has been earned. And by the way, two names to keep an eye on next offseason – Saquon Barkley, and if he's healthy and can bounce back, he's going to demand a huge huge payday. And then Mike Kosicki, who's established himself among the more productive tight ends in the NFL, just two guys that that stand to really, you know, step up and and demand some money this time next year when, when all these free agency and, and and things are are getting talked about less money on the spectrum than what we've been talking about but still a lot of money in the eyes of pretty much all of us Marcus Allen set to make about 850 grand in 2021 as an exclusive uh as an exclusive restricted free agent so if P- the Steelers offered him There was no other negotiating with other teams. That's the way it's set up uh, because of his experience and because the Steelers are the team that drafted him. But this is a guy that Marcus Allen was really looking like on the bubble of staying with the Steelers, maybe on the fringe of NFL relevancy after his first couple years, played three NFL games after two years in the league. Sean, he played 14 last year. He started to transition from safety to linebacker, and the Steelers think highly enough of him to give him a one-year deal approaching a million dollars. And, and if he can cash in on that and convert on that in year number four, then, then he's looking to be looking at a multi-year deal with the Steelers or someone else next offseason hey, he's got a job.
1: That's the important thing. <laughs> he's, uh, he's got the opportunity to come back and, and compete. And that's something, you know, if he – I think with the exclusive rights deal, he had no negotiating power whatsoever. It's just a matter of were the Steelers bringing him back or not. And they decided to bring him back, which, you know, logic to me, and I don't know how this goes with the technicalities of the contract, but logic to me says if somebody wants you back, you you know, you're pretty fortunate. So good for Marcus. I know he, he played a bunch last year. And I know that, uh, you know, that season didn't go the way a lot of Pittsburgh fans wanted it to. But, uh, you know, he's out there and he's been hanging around in the league, and that's really all you can ask at this point.
0: And only 24 years old right now, so uh, we'll see what he does adjusting to that new role. It sounds like Tomlin likes him. Uh, It sounds like they love that possessional flexibility, and that will keep you in the league uh, longer than someone who can only handle one role. No Penn State defensive back has ever recorded more tackles during their college career than Marcus Allen 321 during his days with the Nittany Lions and a pretty notable field goal block along the way as well Sean let's get into our five-star mailbag and it, and it brings us back to Pat Friermuth because that's how the question is tailored here and this is a subject that I think we've bounced around a bit uh, but but let's address it full head head on right here um, how do you view the void left behind by Pat Fryermuth at tight end in 2021 compared to the void left behind by Mike Gisicchi in 2018? It seems to be impressive young talent on the roster in both cases. And I remember Sean sitting in your dining room table at your house before the season opener, I think it was, and in 2018 we had I had just joined you at Lines Twenty Four Seven, and we were trying to figure out how it was going to work with Mike Kasici out of the equation. Pat Friermuth was in the conversation, but Pat Friermuth was not yet Pat Friermuth.
1: Oh, this is this is night and day, and and we we. Kind of forget that because Pat Fryermuth was able to to ascend so quickly and and move in his, at, in 2018. I mean, you're talking about Jonathan Holland, Nick Bowers within injury history, Danny Dalton, which is an, a name that we haven't heard in a long, long time, um, and then Fryermuth and Kuntz. And you're thinking, okay, when we talked last year or this year about getting more tight ends on the field, playing, uh, you know, playing the 12th personnel, get just getting as a situation where you were able to have more tight ends in the field. It's because you've got Brenton Strange. It's because you've got Theo Johnson. Back then we were trying to figure out, okay, can you play four wide? Can you play two running backs and three receivers? How do you play without a tight end? How can you do this? Because we weren't sure that they could fill that gap. So I would say night and day compared to what Gesicki left behind. And this is, this is going to reflect poorly on Mike, but that's not obviously not, uh, uh not under his control at all, but night and day 2018 2021 because you've got those guys walking in behind him talented guys potential NFL guys and just uh you know you you line them up and you go okay Jonathan Holland Nick Bowers Danny Dalton uh, freshman Pat Frymuth versus Brenton Strange Theo Johnson Tyler Warren freshman Khalil Dinkins Eh, it's a little bit different in terms of what uh what you should expect out of that position this year
0: and Nick Bowers wasn't even the Nick Bowers and and that he was going to become a Penn State, there was there was wondering if you you know about his medical Nick history. Nick was in right? the
1: situation that Nick Tarburton's in right now, that he was never healthy whatsoever, right. and you didn't know if he'd ever actually play on the field. Um, so t- just to, to to think about how uh, tight end was just a kind of a black hole at that point or ex- expected black hole. We were trying to talk around it all off season, and then this year it's like, okay, how do you get these guys on? Because Tyler Warren, third string tight end, seems to be a pretty good pretty good prospects. So uh, big difference there. But yeah, you're right. Uh, Nick Bowers obviously came along and developed. Uh, Holland and, and uh, Danny Dalton eventually did not. And Pat Frymouth just took it and ran with it. And um, that's it would be great if a guy like Theo Johnson was around back then. He could probably do the same thing, but that's not the situation. That's not what they're asking him to do. And th- I think the entire roster is better because of it.
0: And by the end of that first September of 2018 with Pat Frymouth on campus, he was catching one-handed touchdown a- against Ohio State and was was entrenched as a go-to target for Trace McSorley pretty quickly. And I'll also say the offense, just beyond the tight end room, what you're seeing here in, in in 2021 versus what the the reality was in 2018, you hadn't you hadn't just lost Mike Gesicki, right? You had lost Saquon Barkley, you had lost Deshaun Hamilton. You were relying heavily upon a, a, a first year contributor in a red shirt freshman KJ Hamler. Now you look around and, and you've got some proven commodities at wide receiver. Certainly, you've got some proven commodities um, in that offensive backfield, particularly with Noah Kane back in the bunch. So I think overall this offensive structure. End in the tight end room because of what you've already noted about the experience that's been accrued by a guy like Brendan Strange and Theo Johnson, and the way you've recruited there just feels like the the the, the safety net is very much more laid out. Uh, compared to when you've said goodbye to Mike Kosicki and had to figure out a plan. Because I remember Danny Dalton Jonathan Holland, both were trendy names at different points of the offseason. Uh, but of course, Friermuth took the whole situation by storm.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like the situation with Saquon a couple of years ago when he walked into that room as a freshman. Very different than when he walked out of it a couple of years later. So that's kind of what you're seeing um, with uh, with Friermuth. And and it's really kind of a residual effect. You saw how those running backs uh, got, you know, that got to work with Saquon it kind of rubbed off on them. you see that with Pat Fryermuth. You see that a lot with a guy like Brenton Strange. And, um, you know, it's funny because, you know, the, the season obviously with Fryermuth's injury did not go to plan, as you will say with that, with that position. But there's a silver lining in there. Those guys got to, got to get out there and you got to see kind of the future in, in a redshirt freshman in Brenton Strange, in a true freshman in Theo Johnson. And you, you gotta, you gotta admit, you like what you saw.
0: And let's also mention you brought in a different tight ends coach back in 2018. Tyler Bowen was the offensive line coach at Maryland in 2017. And now you've got Ty Howell, who's already familiar with that group, stepping up into a new role, but within a program he was already with. So. There's a lot uh, to like, but a very good question, and it's it's a subject that that uh, that, that, that was fun it's to talk timely. about. Yeah, yeah, very timely, and uh, and because Pat joined us, and we thank him again. And I mean, you're overdue to get out of here, man. We we've talked too long. You've got you've got some time to to, to little R and R that's well deserved for you. So why don't you go enjoy that? Uh, I'll take my turn uh, taking some time off later in the month, but uh, have some have some fun with the family. It's got to get back to your
1: vacation. Huh? I I saw you sneak that in there at the end. Yeah, I got some packing to do. I've actually got a chicken on the smoker. We're going to we take our groceries and stuff down there. So, uh got to go make sure I haven't burnt that, but uh yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to stepping away for a little bit. And of course, I I uh you know can't completely step away from him. I've been texting with Deni Dennis Sutton and he's going to be down there <laughs> this weekend so I'll maybe be able to run across him uh who knows how that's going to work out but uh yeah can't can, can I, you do a good job of of getting away and putting stuff away and setting stuff down I I do a terrible job I'm not always on my phone but I'm on my phone much less when I'm on vacation. My wife yells at me. You know, it's a whole big thing. But you do a better job than I will. But if you see my face or you see my name pop up on the board this weekend, don't be uh, don't be surprised because my vacation is always keeping a, a foot back on that base.
0: If you don't think my vacation has been kind of lingering on my brain constantly, yeah, I, I, I am ready to roll. And, and I keep my phone by the bedstand the entire trip. I'll go out and do stuff. It'll be waiting for me at the end of the day. But hey, you're the man in charge around here.
1: You're, you're a crazy person. You're, <laughs> you're going to miss something. You're going to miss a kid setting an official visit for for August or something. Or I might for miss a top something. twelve.
0: You know, so yeah. I mean, it's important stuff. But I, I, we'll see you around this weekend. But but try to enjoy yourself a little bit. Um, Tell and I we said hello when you have moved for dinner. Um, we will talk to everybody next week. Spring ball is right around the corner. We didn't even talk about it, but that gets underway this upcoming week. James Franklin will be speaking with the media. So. Hopefully a lot more to learn about this Penn State group. And by the way, if you missed it this week, Anthony Poindexter, the new safeties coach and co-defensive coordinator, met with his first media group. Uh, That's up on lines, 247com full video. A guy that brings a lot of energy, like we alluded to when he was hired, to fill that safety coach's spot. For now, on behalf of the outgoing Sean, I am Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon.